Saturday, December 12th, Sports Possessions at the Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio, brings to you former WWE superstar Kevin Thorne, also known as Mordecai. Come meet the Pale Rider and become a member of the Bike Club just in time for the holidays. That's Saturday, December 12th from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, comes to Sports Possessions at the brand new Liberty Center in Westchester, Ohio. Visit sportspossessions.com for more information or call 513-759-2600. Kevin Thorne is back, and it's time for you to join the Bike Club. Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's, uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Uh, this is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. Power Trip of Wrestling brought to you today and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man Power Trip of Wrestling, courtesy of Meowbox and courtesy of Meowbox.com. And with all that being said, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, Primetime John Paz, and today, John, our guest in the show's tag team partners have been guests on the show prior to today, and that is the tag team partner of Homicide, the tag team partner of Chavo Guerrero, and even at times the tag team partner of Matt Morgan, and that, of course, is Supermex himself, Sean Hernandez, and not one to be without controversy over the last few months. You could dial it back a little bit into our interview with Rory Fox, which we'll touch on that in just a few minutes. But Hernandez himself really had a little bit of controversy surrounding him throughout the summer with the whole TNA and Lucha Underground fiasco. Uh, But Sean Hernandez really clarifies all that very well. And it was awesome to have him on the show, of course. And uh, you cannot deny the fact that that story really did dominate a lot of the summertime and a lot of it having to do with TNA's uh, taping schedule. 
But, you know, the way they parted ways and the way all the craziness went down, you know, what do you think about Hernandez at the end of the day and how he was pretty emphatic about, um, you know, he's moving on and uh, I don't think either one of them is really uh, in his foreseeable future and getting back there anytime soon. That's right, chatty boy, back again with another big-time episode here from the two-man power trip wrestling. And Sean Hernandez did not disappoint. You know, just another you know fantastic episode, another fantastic interview. Loved interviewing this guy. And, you know, there was obviously some controversy surrounding him that we had to bring up, we had to mention, obviously. You know, we kind of just get into it right away. And, you know, we, we don't really... Um, tour you know tend to uh, go towards a lot of controversial things unless the guest wants to but we felt like we had to ask about the whole lucha underground situation a controversy that happened over the summer and you know was he with tna was he with lucha underground who who did he really have a contract for and it ended up boom he's gone from lucha underground he's working for tna then boom he's gone from tna because of the contract was still going on with lucha underground so that you know that whole controversy was uh you know, a little bit of a strange situation, almost like a little bit of a sticky situation, obviously, between both parties. And Hernandez emphatically told us he will not be back in Lucha Underground. And you hear his whole story about that, which is great stuff. And we, you know, we obviously we do get into his whole run in Lucha Underground, which was pretty great as well, because he did wrestle Alberto uh, El Patron, aka the returning Alberto Del Rio, and had a little feud there. And obviously, he had a great feud with King Ricochet, aka Prince Puma. So, I mean, we did do and get into some great stuff there, but. We had to talk about the controversy. We had to get into uh, some good detail about what happened with the contract situation with Lucha Underground and TNA and, you know, and basically what he's doing today and, you know, how it basically doesn't involve either one of those companies. Yeah, you mentioned that there's some controversial comments. And, of course, if you go back and either subscribe to our YouTube channel or you have the episode itself, there were some comments made by a former guest in regards to maybe their feelings of being uh, the victim of some recklessness in the ring, but that's all up to uh, conjecture and opinion. But, uh, John, why don't you talk about that guest, in fact, how Hernandez's response was a direct result of what happened on our show. Oh, yeah, and, and, and like I said, you know, we kind of wanted to stick, you know, stay away from controversy with most of the guests. I mean, that's not really kind of what we like to do here. But another thing we kind of had to mention, because Rory Fox was a former guest of our show, and he kind of made some controversial comments about Sean Hernandez and how much he, uh, you know, doesn't like him. And they used to be friends and no longer friends anymore. And we kind of, uh, you know, just ask Hernandez his point of view and his take on things and, we get, kind of get into some good detail there because not only we're talking about some injuries that the quote-unquote border toss has done or aka the awesome bomb has done but uh you know we could talk about how certain people like we talk about gail kim for instance was scared about taking the move took the move obviously she weighs 100 pounds and you know getting a power bomb by a 300 pound man she was scared but never injured she landed safely everything's good and his talk was about Roy Fox about how he didn't take the move correctly how he you know he kicked his legs and, and landed around his neck and so on and so forth but we do talk about the heat that, that involved between those guys 
not only from the Border Toast, but from a friendship, I guess, uh, kind of gone by the wayside from many, many years ago. So we definitely get into that, and, and I like uh, Hernandez's response to that, and not only Roy Fox, but some other people that came out and said Hernandez may have injured them, or that, that move is reckless, or whatever. So I loved his response for it. He gave a great answer, and that was, you know, a lot of... Uh, it didn't take a lot of prying, you know, to get a, that great of an answer from him. It seemed like uh, that it's fr- it was fresh on his mind, and you know, he 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 knew what um, what the uh, you know the consensus was and what people were saying. He knew what Roy Fox had said about him, so it was great to hear his response back to Roy Fox, and also great to hear his response back to maybe some of the critics that say that that move is a little bit reckless. It seems like a reoccurring theme with a lot of the TNA guests is what could have been and the potential that was on the table. But, you know, some things might have happened where either a push didn't take place how it was supposed to or booking went in a different direction or what have you. Contracts, who knows? But when it comes to Hernandez and it comes to other guests like his old tag team partner, Matt Morgan, Magnus, Sam Shaw, Gunner, there's characters that they get behind. There's characters that they're ready to push to the moon. And when you look at a guy like Supermax, you know, and I use the quotes, a made guy, he could have been a TNA made guy and he really could have been something special. But it seems like they got behind him on a couple different occasions and then poof, just like that, push right back down the mid card and not used in the way that probably if you're a fan or you were a follower of TNA at any point, you thought Supermax was uh, really on his way to becoming either a TNA world champ or at least battling for it on multiple occasions. There's no doubt about it. Hernandez had potential written all over him from the start. Just look at him. He's he's huge. He's athletic. You know, he's got all the uh, charisma in the world. But, you know, in TNA, that doesn't really matter much, it seems like. Because, you know, like we talked about in the past with Matt Morgan, why wasn't he TNA champ? Why isn't he still in TNA? Why isn't he, you know, the king of the world right now with his, uh, you know, five tools that he's got? And the same thing can be said for Hernandez as well, who's obviously a good friend of Matt Morgan. We get into their friendship and their feud and, and you know, their relationship. And, and, you know, basically, you know, what he thinks of uh, Matt Morgan and the potential that TNA screwed him. But we definitely do get into Hernandez getting screwed by TNA as well because TNA could have, quote-unquote, made him numerous of times and they didn't. And it was so interesting to get into the, some of the stuff that he had to say about Sting and Kurt Angle and how TNA viewed those guys and how TNA wouldn't let you beat them straight up. And, you know, he wouldn't really let you job, you know, didn't want those guys jobbing certain ways. So it's interesting. How is somebody going to get over the hump and get over the hurdle and really get over if you're not willing to let somebody go over on those guys so it's very interesting uh, take from Hernandez and very good point and I feel like he had a star written all over him he had main eventer written all over him from TNA and they kind of just you know they blew it and like they've done many many times in the past with many guys they had the guys they had the potential they could have been huge stars for the company and they completely blew it and Hernandez is definitely at the top of that list but you know one thing that we do talk about you know, on a more positive note is, you know, for for the time being, LAX was huge for TNA. It was awesome. And Homicide and Hernandez, what a great team. And we do delve into that relationship and that tag team and LAX big time. And we also, I mean, we got to take the good and the bad. And we also talk about the, the downfall of LAX as well and, and why it didn't succeed. And, you know, basically why it wasn't really Hernandez and Homicide's fault. And uh, maybe the departing Conan may have something to do with it, but you know, we do get into that in great detail about 
that great tag team known as LAX, and you know they were a bit ahead of their time, and they were a bit different. But you know, typical TNA fashion, they kind of screwed it up because uh, they definitely had main event written all over them. Main event written all over him, indeed. And of course, he is the main event of today's show. But today's show is brought to you by our undercard, which is sponsored by Meowbox. And when you head on over to meowbox.com and you throw the code POWERTRIP10 into the checkout box, you're going to save 10% off your first monthly box subscription simply by using the fantastic promo code POWERTRIP10 in all capital letters. That's right, POWERTRIP10, all capital letters. Head on over to meowbox.com. Get all your monthly cat subscription box needs taken care of by Meowbox. And now, John, as I turn it over to you, and before you throw it on over to Hernandez, before you hit him with a little two-man power trip of wrestling business, tell them a little bit more about Meowbox and send them on their merry little way. Oh, yeah, chatty boy, Meowbox. That's right, Meowbox.com. Now, with Meowbox, they have a service called One Box Can, where a can of food will be donated to the shelter cat on your behalf. So please, if you're going to do Meow Box and you're going to buy Meow Box, you also get to help out a shelter cat. So they will donate food on your behalf for every Meow Box purchase. Also, for all edible items, they are in the USA or Canada. They are made, so you know where your items are coming from. Also, if you do not want edible items, just like my picky cat Lucy, she has a very, very specific diet where she cannot have edible items. She gets her edible items exchanged with toys and surprises, which she absolutely loves. So, anybody out there that's not interested in the edible items, Meowbox will trade them out for toys and surprises, which Lucy absolutely loves. Again, that's Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Again, one more time, Meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10. Now, for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at WrestlingPal and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, check out the website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. We are putting up clips forever and a day of all the great new episodes that we have. So, please, subscribe to us on YouTube. You will not be sorry. And while you're at it, please, subscribe to us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review. And while you're there, check out the feed with prior great episodes with the late Great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, good old J.R. Jim Ross, Harley Race, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Stan Hansen, Tully Blanchard, Matt Morgan, and so, so, so many more. You will not be sorry. There's over 100 episodes on there, and they're all just fantastic. Now, also, please type into the Google machine. That is the I-95 Sports Network. We are also on there, live and in color. So don't forget to Google that up. It is the I-95 Sports Network, and you love what you see on there. And you can check us out on there as well. And anybody interested in booking Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Mordecai, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. You will not be sorry about that. And now, without any further ado, we send it off to another fantastic episode. He is a former NWA Tag Team Champion. He is a former TNA Tag Team Champion. He is one of the greats. He is Sean Hernandez, a.k.a. Hernandez. 
please enjoy. Is a man known to wrestling fans as the Super... But if we want to give a little bit more detail about him, we can tell you that he's a five-time TNA Wrestling Tag Team Champion. He's also a two-time NWA Tag Team Champion. And as the man himself, Sean Hernandez. Hernandez, thank you so much for joining the two-man power tip of wrestling. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I mean, we feel like we've collected uh, a couple people from your past. We've had on Homicide. We've had on Matt Morgan. But now it's time to get into the mind of the Super Mexican self. And I want to start off by asking, what do you think of the pre-animated news since the underground and the stuff that happened with the over the summer. Um, basically, I've been, I've been trimming down on my probably the life I've ever been. I've been doing a couple of commercials, and I've actually two movies this summer. So uh, trying to break off from that little genre instead of, you know, I'm wrestling still, but not as much as I usually are. All right, nice. Yeah, so, you know, with that uh, summer being pretty uh, – Pretty impactful, pretty uh, exciting, uh, some of the things that were coming out about that. When you look back at that last run with TNA, you know, when you think about the BDC, when we were talking to Homicide, he was talking about all the potential that the BDC had. Did you think that that group together was like, you know, a perfect gel of guys on paper? I mean, you and uh, Homicide and MVP and Kenny King. I mean, what a collection of talent right there. Oh, I agree. It was, it was, I mean, it was great. Mount talent, you know, just, you know, especially with you know, you have all these minorities together and doing something positive for change. Whether well, usually we don't get that opportunity, it was really cool. Yeah, homicide was saying one of the things he would have loved to have done is actually uh, go on over to Japan and take on the Bullet Club and have like a, a BDC versus Bullet Club dream feud. And I think that that right there could get the palate of a wrestling fan pretty wet pretty quickly because that's a collection of guys right there could have some dynamite matches, but if you were to pick, if you were going to go up against the Bullet Club, is there one guy that you'd like to go after one-on-one? Uh, he's, I think, one of the most underrated guys, probably right now, right now but when he was in TNA, he was very underrated, and that's uh, big, big Doc, Luke Gallows. I mean, I've wrestled him a couple times in the Indies, and he's awesome. I think he's one of the most underrated big guys out there right now. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And, of course, the last time we saw Doc in TNA, he was a part of the uh, somewhat questionable Aces and Ace group, which uh, that's a whole other story for a whole other night. And I don't think we have enough time in the night to go through uh, Aces and Ace. But let's talk about your run there with TNA. And, obviously, you know, it had a couple, uh, you know, murky things behind it. Obviously, there was some talk with Lucha Underground and how that ended. But... You know, that transition from Lucha, and it was, you know, a, a really structured format, and going back into TNA, which was a very familiar place for you, did you like this, how Lucha was set up, or do you like how TNA was one at that point? Well, I mean, what, what people don't realize is, you know, Lucha Underground is pretty much a TV show, not, you know, not like a Raw or SmackDown, but actual physical TV show, like a, you know, and seasons and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, because it, it was so new, you had a lot of leeway because all you had was Chavo, really, the only one that was, and uh, the, 
Chris jo- Joseph, the writer, they're the only one that really had any in-depth knowledge about wrestling. So, you you know, you pretty much were, you know, were allowed to do your own thing out there, which is very, very refreshing and a big change from what you usually have to do where on Raw or SmackDown or Ring of Honor, you are pretty much dead set, have to do what is told or you won't be on the show. Yeah, and it was totally different. I mean, the the way you see uh, an outsider, the structure was just completely different. It was very cool, had a really unique uh, pace to them. And setting it up as a TV show, I think, kind of follows that sports entertainment genre and kind of falls into that category. But, you know, being that you are an entertainer as well as a wrestler, did you like that being more of a TV show than just your traditional wrestling show? Well, just on the production value alone, I mean, it was like, you know, a really cool uh, – B action movie, you know, the way they did the graphics and different things like that. It was phenomenal. And I mean, of course, anyone that doesn't like uh, the owner, uh, Dario Cueto, is just not a wrestling fan at all. <laughs> He's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. I mean, talk about captivating storylines and different storylines because I think just from the first episode, you could see they were going in a completely different direction with some of the ways they were portraying. You know, like you said, Dario and also, you know, some of the other characters on there. But it seems like the, uh, you know, the momentum that Lucha had carrying into the summertime really exploded because uh, I think it shocked everyone that Alberto Del Rio, a.k.a. El Patron, uh, appeared back in the WWE uh, about two weeks ago. And it kind of yeah. threw a, you know, a curveball at Lucha Underground because of the fact he was you know, the champ, but uh, what's your thoughts on Alberto heading back to uh, WWE and that being, like, the shocking move of all moves? Uh, more power to him. I mean, he's a very, very, very great in-ring performer, and, you know, you know, you never know what can happen with wrestling as far as your body. You need to take the money where you can, man. Absolutely, and obviously uh, with Alberto El Patron, a.k.a. Alberto Del Rio, you did have a brief feud with him in Lucha Underground. What was it like working with Alberto? Utmost uh, professional. I mean, there was, you know, he paid, you know, strict attention to detail for, I just thought, almost every move, you know. It, that's why, you know, he, if you watch him, he kills himself as a star. You know this guy is somebody from the moment he walks out, you know, out, the, out the curtain. And uh, every move, every movement, everything he does means something. And uh, it was like being in the ring was like a sting or a Kurt Angle. It was awesome. Absolutely. He's, he's definitely one of the best today for sure. But another guy kind of underrated, kind of under the radar that you feuded with in uh, Lucha Underground for a bit was Drago. Quite a cool yeah. feud you guys had. What was your, you know, what was your take on that whole feud? I was very different, you know. <laughs> I've, I had a blast. I've, I've worked Drago before when I was in AAA, and uh, he's a very, very talented guy. He did obviously different kinds of uh, gimmicks besides this Drago before that, and uh, it's always it's, it's a it's always a, a challenge to wrestle these smaller guys that can do all this cool stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, it was definitely fun. I'm impressed with the. The, the costume and the pageantry, he, he came out and exuded. I mean, it was like, you know, I was legit scared at first. I mean, because that costume is very creepy, bro. <laughs> and to scare you, it's got to be uh, pretty damn, uh, you know, pretty damn creepy looking. 
well, I don't, I don't like, I don't like horror movies and stuff like that. But this, you know, I mean, up close, this guy was, it was just ridiculous. It looked kind of like uh, the the guy from Jeepers Creepers. It was very, very freaky. Man. Was that like the most, uh, you know, the most different or the, the strangest you've ever gone as far as like a feud? Is uh, you know, they do tend to do in Lucha, obviously, some different stuff that we haven't really been uh, accustomed to here, you know, in the United States. Well, I've, you know, I've wrestled in Mexico probably, you know, at least 75% of my career. So, I mean, nothing, nothing uh, <laughs> phases me or challenges me because, I mean, you know, you never know what they have planned. I mean, they had, I've been in a, a ring where it was electrified steel cage. Not like the TNA one I was in, but a real one. <laughs> and, hmm. I mean, yeah, when you're feuding with anywhere from 400-pound twins to uh, exotic codes and stuff like that, you know, it's a lot different. I mean, that's why Lucha Underground is such a big hit for the the mainstream wrestling fans because there's, there's no one – they're not trying to copy a WWE or Ring of Honor. They're trying to establish their own niche. Now, obviously, they've been re-upped for season two and, and so on and so forth. But do you think that, uh, you know, that they're going to continue to be successful? Or do you think that, you know, maybe, you know, season one was the tops for them? It's all depends on the writers. You know, what, what uh, you know, what I call CMC, you know, Chris, you know, Matt and Chris, the three, the three writers for uh Loose Underground, those guys, you know, what magic can they come up with this season, you know? I think they can, you know, because what they came up with, the cast is phenomenal. So I think, you know, they're going to have to do more storyline stuff because, I mean, you pretty much can't top some of the stuff they did athletically, you know, jumping off, you know, balconies and stuff like that and powerbombing people through roofs and stuff. So, I mean, they're going to have to be – I would think they'll have to be more storyline-based this, this season. Now, in Lucha Underground, I mean, you mentioned the athleticism and probably the most athletic guy in Lucha Underground, which is kind of saying a lot considering how many great athletic guys there are in that company, and that is uh, Ricochet, a.k.a. Prince Puma, and I know you're very familiar with him because you guys had a pretty damn good boss on uh, Prince Puma. Uh, brother, that's uh, you know, like a young version of AJ Styles. I, I told him that when I first wrestled him, that was – very very freaky how athletic that guy is, and it's not it's not he's not even trying. That's the that's the bad part. Wait till he realizes what he, what he's really really doing. He's going to be even twenty times better than he is now. Yeah, he's just amazing, and obviously you know you guys had a little bit of a title feud there, and uh, it was pretty you know pretty good match. Were you happy with your matches with him because they were pretty damn good? Well, I mean. I, I was most happy because, you know, I, in my career, I very, very rarely had a chance to do singles matches. And just the fact that I got to, one, have a singles match, and two, with no time constraint was pretty cool. And, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed the match with him a lot. It was a lot different than what, I, what I'm used to, you know, doing the five-minute matches in TNA, and there's some screw job for the DQ. So, I mean, <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> Now, obviously, Lucha Underground, there was, you know, a bit of controversy with you and, and the contract and everything else. Is there any plans on, you know, being a part of season two and going back to Lucha Underground? No. I mean, that ship done sailed and gone. I mean, for both parties, it's, I think the best interest that we just, you know, they do their own thing, I do my own thing. You 
I, I, I can't get into too much due to legalities. Right. You know, but it's it's best on both parts that, you know, they go their way, I go my way, and life goes on. Right, gotcha. Now, obviously, um, you spent a bulk of your career, like you said, being a tag wrestler, and uh, like uh, Chad mentioned before, you can't really talk about Hernandez without talking about Homicide and LAX because for a while there, and, and even in TNA, it was like nothing was original came out of there for a long time until Conan, you, and Homicide came out, and it was completely different. You came out of like a different uh, locker room, so to say, almost out of the crowd. You guys were yeah. completely different. Did you, you know, really, were you feeling the, you know, the originality of LAX with Conan and Homicide? Oh, most definitely. I mean, it was like catching lightning in a bottle because, I mean, here you have a a legend, in, you know, in Spanish wrestling and was WCW with Conan, and then you got the Ring of Honor, you know, Godfather over there on Homicide, and there's this big guy who's doing the Indies in Mexico, and it is somehow, some way, it just worked out, and it lit like wildfire, you know. Very amazing. Who would have thought that that would be, you know, the first four years of my career were would be the best part of of TV for me, and the whole time I was there, you know. Hmm. It was definitely different. It was definitely cool, and it was like it was, you know, it was almost like Kelly with the NWO first started. It was like it was so different. I was like, wow, this is this is, you know, it catches your eye right away. I mean, it was definitely different than anything they've done up until that point. But obviously, the, the main component of that was Conan. What have you learned, you know, because I know you have a, a you know history with him, but what have you learned from Conan? That no matter what you do in the ring, as far as all those moves, they mean nothing if you cannot connect with the crowd. You know, I mean, you can do all these cool moves left and right, and you have to be able to connect with the crowd or you're just another wrestler. He definitely, uh, yeah, he definitely is a smart man, great uh, psychology for wrestling, and that is a great lesson to learn, you know, to connect with the crowd. And it definitely seemed like you and Homicide had connected with the crowd, but also you guys had such good chemistry together. What was it, you know, with you and Homicide? Cause had, I know you, you know, kind of, I guess, crossed paths before, but you never really teamed or never really were too familiar with him, correct? No, not at all. I mean, that's the first time we ever, you know, I mean, we were in the locker room together. I mean, he was always on top of the ring of honor, and I was just trying to break in the roster. And uh, so our first time together was just literally in the ring. At, we were just thrown together. And uh, basically, I was just – I think I was very smart. I just, you know, shut the hell up and listened. <laughs> hmm. And it worked out very well, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, the dynamic between you guys definitely worked out well. I mean, it's such a great team. I mean, obviously you're like you're a power guy, and, and he you know, he's a little workhorse. Did you think when they re, you know originally you know quote unquote threw you guys together? Did you think that you guys were going to you know be you know lasting as long as you did, holding tag titles basically uh, you know in Puerto Rico and all over in New Jersey, TNA? I mean, everywhere you guys held tag titles. Did you you know kind of uh, almost can you? Could you have seen where you guys were headed when they started, kind of started you guys out? Not even close. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, people forget that we sat on the uh, on the sidelines for like three or four months when we first got there just by the Spanish announce table and just getting paid, sitting there hoping we get a shot. 
just have a match, let alone, you know, get some TV time. I mean, even lose out hoping just for an explosion match. And uh, we, this will happen on, on, one the, on the pay-per-views. They needed one more match, and they decided to give uh, Ron Killings and, and Homicide a match, and they made it a tag to the Addison J. Dutt, and we just took it from there. I mean, we pretty much figured there was a 50 chance that we were going to be let go because, I mean, who, who, who's kept on the payroll for four or five months? And sooner or later, if you don't wrestle, they're going to let you go. You know? So, I mean, we just went balls to the wall and whatever happened, happened. And it turned out awesome for us. Definitely did. And it's crazy to think that, you know, you guys are almost just a throw-in because after, you know, watching many of your matches, just like great feud after great feud, and one that really stuck out to me you guys just had was uh, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels when they were teaming, you know, when you guys uh, feuded with them with LAX, it just seemed like, man, you know, these guys should be on every show. And which, So what do you think is, like, you know, working with AJ and Daniels and a great team like that? It was the best thing for me because, you know, I came from the Mexican Indies where I was, you know, with a, there's not too much psychology at all. <laughs> and, on, it's, and Lucha Wrestling, let alone, uh, let alone, you know, in, on, on TV there. So, I mean, being a ring, you know, a ring general like like, like uh, Daniels and AJ Styles was awesome. You know, like I said, we got that break because I don't want to get, you know, somebody on the bus, but there was a, there was a hot baby face team at the time that, Thought they were too good to um, to have a those what do you call those extreme X matches? Mm, ultimate X, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were too good to have that. You know, they they, you know, they claimed they were too big to be climbing the ropes, and you know, here I was, three hundred pounds at the time climbing the ropes. So I mean, that that's that's the main reason why we got that shot is because the, that that so called team didn't want to do the match. And then obviously, and you know, oh, sorry to cut you off. I was just gonna say, obviously, you know, you and you guys had great chemistry, and the match was great. Well, it's just different. I mean, people don't realize that there was a lot, a lot of luck and uh, backstage stuff that went on just for us to get the spots that we got. Because, you know, like I said, if it wasn't for some of those teams that didn't want to do certain matches, we wouldn't have got a shot at all. We just wanted to. We just wanted to perform. We just wanted to show what we could do. And heard the so-called superstar teams didn't want to do the Ultimate X match or a steel cage match. And okay, we'll do it. If we get on TV, hell yeah, we'll do it. Hmm. Definitely. And uh, you know, just thinking back with LAX, I mean, obviously it was different and it was cool. But you guys, you know, got some big wins. Obviously, multi-time uh, tag team champions, and you guys were pretty dominant, but I, I, you know, you talked about the electrified steel cage before, and I remember you guys versus Team 3D, but it wasn't the, the Mexico style of uh, electrified steel <laughs> What do you think about the difference uh, in, you know, the TNA one? Okay, okay, you, you saw the match, you saw as soon as uh, Homicide hit that cage, and they put that fake sound on there, and the crowd just went nuts on, you know, nuts and just the fire Russo chance, and you know, just, it was just very, 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 very grueling to know that once 
Homicide hit that cage, and it didn't go how the fans wanted to go. And that fake uh, noise on the on the sound speaker, we couldn't wait for the next 10, 15 minutes of that match to be over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter how good the match was. All you, all, you know, all the fans will realize is uh, the steel cage electrified was not exactly what it was built up to be. And that was not on any of the performers' fault. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like, what can you do? You gave them uh, not a lot to work with that match. I remember that. I mean, I watched that. I mean, it was kind of a a strange, <laughs> you know, just, just strange. Obviously, they got the idea from Mexico, but obviously they do it a little bit different, a little bit better down there in Mexico. Well, I mean, not really. All they do is, you know, put like three or four uh, – portable car battery charges on each side of the ring and t- and hook it up to the ring. I mean, it's ghetto, but, I mean, at least it's real. Right. Yeah, that's, and that really does hurt. <laughs> you know, and it's funny with you saying the fire Russo chance because it was so, you know, like, uh, in sync with a lot of the stuff going on back then about 10 years ago with TNA that anything – that didn't make sense or anything that was a little bit, you know, comedic or went over like a, uh, like a fart in church or something, you know, the fire yeah. Russo chance uh, started. What was your, uh, what were your thoughts on Vince Russo as a uh, creative writer? And do you think sometimes, you know, his thoughts were a little bit too out there for what the, uh, the wrestling audience actually wanted? At times, I mean, you know, most, you know, he took a lot more heat than he should have. Cause I mean, yes, he's the head writer. Oh, at the time he was the head writer, but you also got to realize there's, you know, there's certain people on the show that they can uh, veto what goes on or change what goes on as far as the style of match or style of feud. So it's he's basically got to make you know, excuse my language, make you know, chicken out of chicken shit because if you got all these guys, well, I'll do this only if I get to do this, this, and this. So I mean, so his original vision obviously is uh, diluted. So it's. I just think, you know, he gets a lot more heat than he should, at least in his TNA run. Yeah, that's actually, that's a really great point. I feel like a lot of the creative, you know, hate that goes towards either any kind of WWE writer or a TNA writer, I think it's like the genesis of Vince Russo and what he, like, kind of paved the way with for all the good ideas he had. There's a couple bad ones that stick out. But, you know, with with somebody like you who's got such a unique look, you know, has there ever been a time where creative came to you with something that was just so utterly ridiculous that you're like, no, that just doesn't fit Hernandez and what he is on television? Uh, <laughs> the whole Mexican-American deal. <laughs> you know, I go, to, I go to AAA for a year. You know, there was, you know, doing whatever they claim I need to do. And my reward is I get a third or fourth-rate version of LAX. And... I was just miserable that whole year. It was just ridiculous. You know, don't clip, you know, one of my, you know, you seen it. You saw how hokey it was. So, I mean, it was brutal. It was brutal to, you know, here's you guys, you guys are probably, you know, burying it on, you know, social media, whatever you're burying that. And I had to live it for a year. So, come on. When you guys, when you guys are saying whatever you want to say on the internet and stuff like that, it's not like we don't know, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, as soon as we, as soon as we're given the, given the format, we already know that it could be a bad idea. 
Yeah, it's funny. It's like LAX light. You know, it was definitely the uh, the thought was there, sort of. You know, I guess maybe the intentions were there, but I, you know, it, it was definitely a departure. But you know, that was a good, like you said, almost a year's worth of uh, stories for you. But it seems like every time TNA really kind of you know went in a different direction with you, they always seemed to steer you back somehow. Um, and what did you think about you know? And it, it it's actually, I mean, I don't know if it's a subject that's been beaten to death, but you know, the the different management changes and the, you know, the different people that have come in and out in TNA over the years. I know Dixie's, you know, the solid, you know, main person, but, you know, the Hogan-Bischoff era and now, you know, Billy Corgan in there, you know. What was your take on that? Let's stick with Hogan-Bischoff, on the Hogan-Bischoff run and when they came into the company and, like, what they did to change it. Um, nothing positive. Because, I mean, you know, you killed the whole mystique with, you know, taking taking the uh, six sides away and then putting the four, putting the four uh, side ring and then putting the ramp there. And it was just awkward. I mean, and you're trying to change everyone's uh, way of wrestling where 06, 07, 08, 09, you know, we had a very, very strong push and the, and the crowd was receptive of everything we were doing. You know, and then you put try to change the whole structure of the, of the company, and there was this, I didn't like it. And there's a lot of guys who didn't like it as well. But, I mean, no, I can't say they did anything positive. Did they bring some, some exposure? Sure, but enough to warrant what they did, not, not even close. You know, you just killed every home-based guy they had, every single one of them. You know, so that that for that four or five year period where you were building these guys up, you pretty much killed everything you did in six months. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, and that's completely true. And it's funny, you know, we're talking about goofy matches and things like that. But that first show that Hogan and Bischoff were on, you had that ridiculous cage match where Homicide got hung out to dry. You know, where basically I think he was hanging at one point. That they just kind of took yeah. all that equity that TNA built up as a standalone organization and as a standalone product and put that, you know, hokey Hogan Bischoff, you know, everybody knew from WCW and knew they were going to do it to TNA eventually, but it took one night. But, you know, how was uh, the Hogan Bischoff regime backstage towards you? Like was Hogan, you know, what we see on TV that he was a guy that, you know, he you, he be, uh, wanted to put you over, but also maybe behind the scenes he could take some jabs. And obviously he's going through a lot right now, but what was your take on Hogan directly when he was uh, back there doing his thing? Hogan was very, very cool with me. He was very nice. I mean, he actually paid attention uh, for myself, maybe for other other Russians it was different, but for myself, uh, Eric Bischoff was extremely business. It was very hard to get. Uh, his, his five minutes of your time that you need to express how you want your character or your angles to go. Because, I mean, he was, when he had your little meetings right there, he just said what was, was going to happen, and that's it. Now, obviously, you know, with that era, with Hogan and Bischoff coming in, you know, it was a lot different for TNA. Obviously, a lot of the homegrown guys kind of got shifted off to the side, but kind of an interesting little feud for you, well, obviously was a good friend of yours and a, a great guest of our show in the past, and that was Matt Morgan. What was it like yeah. um, 
being able to almost uh, showcase what you guys can do and put on that feud because you know you guys were two of the guys that everyone was saying should be getting a push in this era. Well, that's awesome. I mean, I mean, you can't coach how big he is. He's very athletic. I mean, for that guy not to be a bigger name than he is is, you know, you guys already know. I mean, come on. I mean. There's even on, even on I, whatever program you want to watch on TV today, he's still you know bigger, more athletic, and you know has just too much charisma just to be where he's at. You know, it's I don't understand it. I don't want to understand it. And it's, it's like one of those things that, you, that the more you try to understand, the more you just get frustrated. You know. For sure, and uh, he was when we, you know, we spoke to him about TNA. We called it a stop and start, uh, or start yeah. and stop the uh, booking. Did you get the sense, you know, they would start something, then they would stop it, and they kind of, you know, kind of left guys, you know, hanging out to dry with. They didn't really, you know, finish what they started with, you know, with specific pushes and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's like they got a certain guy to the main event, and then just stopped helping him or stop pushing him or start booking him correctly after that. As soon as they start getting, you know, when people start buying this guy's the main event guy, they, then that's when they start overbooking stuff and just totally kill whatever they, what, that two or three months they built up to getting that guy to where he, he was at. Yeah, it was weird because, you know, obviously with, you know, Matt, we went to great detail about their you know, stop and start, start and stop, whatever you want to say. I mean, they were kind of pushing them and not pushing them. But with you, it was the same kind of thing. You were feuding with Sting for a while. Um, I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but, you know, they definitely, uh, you know, they pushed you. You were, you were going after the world title and you were feuding with Sting. What were, you know, what was your thoughts on at that point? Were you thinking, you know, oh, they're finally, you know, putting some faith in me? And did you like working with the Stinger? Sting was awesome. I mean, he was very, very cool. He was willing, you know, more than willing to do anything I wanted to do. You know, and you know he, you know he knows his, he knows pro wrestling. You know he was, he wanted to put, he wanted to put me over clean, and they would, they never, would, they would always overrule him. But I mean, thing was cool, and Kurt Angle are very cool. Those, I mean, those guys are the guys that can help get guys next level, and it just, whatever, for whatever, for whatever's worth, the management decided. They can't lose clean, and that's what you know killed the whole mystique of anybody they're trying to build up. Now that's kind of you know a strange way of uh, looking at it from their perspective because you know you you have to beat some of these guys to put you know put yeah. some guys over, and for certain that that was an issue with them. Did you know? Did you ever go to management you know and kind of voice any uh, complaints about uh, you know their booking style? Um. Let's be realistic. Of course, people are going to voice their opinion, but I mean, you know, you're getting paid well. You know, do you really want? Do you really want to get sit home? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'll be realistic. I mean, dude, I'm making good money. Am I mad that I'm getting booked bad? Of course. But I mean, in the day, you know, I remember where I came from, what I was making before I joined TNA, and I didn't want to go back to that. So, <laughs> you know, you just bring them back. You just got you know, be honest. You know. Let's be let's be realistic. You know, say you're, you know, I came from the Indies before I was in TNA. You know, unloading trucks and working the Indies. You know, maybe I don't. Maybe if I run my mouth and you know, voice my displeasure how things are going, 
maybe I get sent home and I have to go back to unloading trucks, you know. <laughs> working two or three days, I'm sorry, working in what? For, as far as TV, probably four to six four to four to six days a month and then with some house shows and making probably 10 times what I was making on loading trucks. Um, I think I'll I think I'll be quiet. You know, I got three kids, you know. That's a very, very, very good point, and yeah, totally, totally understandable. But uh, I just, I, I just specifically remember, you know, a good, a good little feud you had, a good match you had with Samoa Joe. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, he beat Joe, like, you know, you beat Joe clean. I was like, oh, he's definitely going to be getting a big push. Yeah. Did you kind of think that, you know, it's Samoa Joe who he is and, and beating him? Did yeah. you think, okay, here we go? No. <laughs> I, I've seen the movie before. I've seen them do it with, with all the other, with other guys with more prestige and more and bigger names. So why wouldn't they do it to me? You know, I just wrote it as long as I could. I mean, because you know, they had me going for the world title, and then you blink, I'm going for some legends title. Or I don't even know what title it was. The one with the little like big jewels on it or something. You know, so I mean. I just knew that there was just a matter of time, but, you know, as soon as I start wrestling bigger name guys, they're going to find ways to create, creatively protect those guys with DQs and run-ins and whatever you got to do. So, I mean, I'm not, I was very realistic that, you know, just write it for as long as you can. Now, you know, I mentioned Samoa Joe and obviously he moved on to, uh, you know, the WWE and he's in, with NXT yeah. right now. And obviously he's, He's one of the best going, but what do you, you know, what's your opinion on Samoa Joe and, and, you know, where he's at? Did you, you know, you think he deserves to be, you know, where he is and, you, you know, basically is he as good as, you know, I'm claiming he is? Uh, most definitely. I mean, he can have good matches with anyone on any roster. You know, he's got, you know, different look and different style wrestling. You know, he can, he can do it all, I think. Joe, for, you know, for sure he's one of the best in the game. And it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a shame, you know, he kind of got stuck in TNA in a while and they kind of didn't know what they were doing with him. He kind of falls in the same class as you and Matt Morgan. It's, you know what I mean? Like they give him the tag title, they give him a little bit of push, and they kind of didn't do enough with him. Obviously, Joe would win the TNA world title, but they, um, you know, they didn't really give him the, the good enough push where I felt like he deserved. Not at all. I mean, that was one of the guys they could, you know, I, yeah, he came from Ring of Honor, but I mean, they could have exploited it and pushed it toward this is a, a homegrown star that they made. And for whatever reason it was, if you notice, I mean, going to the top, he was he was a world beater. But, I mean, as soon as he got the belt, eh, let's, let's reel him back in. So, I mean, it was awkward. I mean, like I said, he's not the only one. Myself, Matt Morgan, every, all of us, so... It's just weird how how management wanted to do it. So I mean, what can you do? Yeah, definitely frustrating. And obviously, a lot of people were frustrated with TNA and you know, kind of where it's going and stuff. And obviously, James Storm, another guy you feuded with in uh, AMW and then Beer Money, he ended up on NXT. Were you kind of surprised yeah. by that, being that he was like a TNA light? Well, all those guys, you know. Storm, Rude, Aries, you know, they all, I think, deserve a lot more than they should get because, I mean, those guys are excellent performers. They were given every chance to shine in TNA, and for whatever reason, TNA decided they didn't want to get, you know, be uh, investing them 100%. So, I mean, 
good for him. I'm very glad for him and Joe to get, you know, a bigger a bigger uh, spotlight to be in front of. For sure. I mean, it, it's kind of cool, you know, in a sense, to see them uh, kind of like break away from TNA and kind of do their thing in WWE and NXT. But, you know, that kind of raises the question, what about you? Have you got any feelers? Because I know, you know, like 15 years ago or so, obviously, you know, you did some enhancement <laughs> matches for the WWF. But, you know, have you ever thought about maybe joining the ranks of NXT or have they ever sent you any feelers? Um. Officially, no. I think when I was in Mexico, they did a couple of times, and that was like 2010. And, you know, I'm good. You know, I, you know one thing I've, I learned about wrestling, don't be greedy. Just, get, you know, take what's given to you and try to, you know, try to expand on what's given to you. So, I mean, if I never wrestle in WWE or any TV wrestling ever again, you know, I'm good. And, you know, that's a good way to look at it because some people think it's like you made a huge name for yourself away from WWE and, and kind of LAX kind of, you know, set you and especially Homicide apart from a lot of other guys in TNA, you know, as far as really, really making a name for yourself and kind of being big all over the world. And obviously in AAA in Mexico, like we mentioned before, you were, you know, you made a huge run and, and you know, you, you wrestled, all the big names like Parka, Blue Demon, uh, El Macias. What was it like down there in Mexico? And we briefly talked about it, but kind of wanted to get into a little bit more because you were there for, like you mentioned, uh, quite a while. Uh, I was there for nine months. I lived there for nine months. It was a big eye opener, you know, just on the fact that, you know, the the style of living, because, I mean, you know, let's be realistic. I live in the north side of Houston, you know, nice big suburban home, <laughs> and I went to the you know living in Mexico to living into a room with no with no uh, heat or AC. So it was a it was a big eye opener. In Mexico, there's you know it's not like the United States where there's like three or four classes. There's only two. If you have money or you don't have money, and uh, it's it can be very very it can totally desensitize to you on how living is in this United States big times. You know, they the fans really care about their wrestlers. You know, except for TV stars and maybe uh, soccer players, you are the most uh, famous guys in the country. So I mean, there'll be times where I'll be signing autographs at Walmart, just because I went to the grocery store at Walmart and I'd be there for like 45 minutes. And you know, you're in the magazines down there. They have two magazines they 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 run weekly. So I mean. You're getting all the exposure you can. And you became a pretty big star there. And obviously, we know we touched on it before, how you were kind of, you know, still in TNA and you were in Mexico. Did you almost not want to come back? Because, you know, you were getting, obviously, you know, you're a huge star down there. Did you almost not want to come back? Or, or were the living conditions kind of getting to you? Um, if I was, you know, if, if I didn't have, you know, young kids at the time, I probably would not have come back. That's probably the only reason why I came back. You know, you're treated like a star. You're treated like a celebrity. You are treated well. You know, I was given the, the form to do my style matches, my style wrestling without any um, puppet strings. You know, life, as far as wrestling, life was grand, you know, but, you know, coming home every six to eight weeks to see your family is kind of rough. So, on that point, that's probably the only reason why I did come back. And trust me, I was trying to figure out every way I could to stay. 
and obviously, you know, eventually, you know, you, you come back and, and, you, and you go to TNA and, you know, a little <laughs> bit down the, you know, and he kind of, you know, kind of didn't do much as far as them, you know, really giving you, you know, putting a rocket booster on you and really giving you the push you probably should have gotten. But, you know, they kind of put you with Chavo Guerrero, you guys win the tag titles. But it was kind of cool because, in a way, it was like, man, these are two really good wrestlers. They kind of lumped them together. What was it like, you know, wrestling with Chavo and working with Chavo? Chavo is also, awesome. you know, Chavo and Homicide are probably my two best friends in wrestling. Um, those guys were awesome. Chavo is, he gets a lot more flack than he deserves, I think. I mean, he's a very, very good wrestler. And I think if TNA, you know, TNA gave us a very, very difficult platform, because, I mean, yes, we were good wrestlers, but, you know, they always had us going against cool heels like Aries and Rude. Uh, Kazarian and Daniels, where these guys are cutting cute little promos, and they send us out there like 80s raw raw baby faces. Where you know, in this day and age, you do that, you're just gonna get crucified by the crowd. <laughs> you know, so here's these guys cut cute little promos on us, and and we're like, yeah, we'll have the fans, you know, support us, you know, ringside, you know, yay, baby faces, you know, very raw raw 80, and it was. I remember in England when we got booed out of the building just when we came out the curtain <laughs> because, you know, just just how wrestling fans are, you know, they we, they made us a cookie-cutter 80s baby team, and we just got killed from, I say, from January of 13 on. There's nothing we could do to be a baby fan. <laughs> hmm. I mean, and, if, you watch, if you watch the show at all, you saw that dude, we just got killed. Oh yeah, definitely. But you know, it was kind of cool that they that they kind of put you guys together. But you know, not that they weren't giving you you know the big push, but it was kind of cool because you knew that you guys were going to be part of the you know the meat of the show as far as the good wrestling action was concerned. Because AJ Styles and Kurt Angle were teaming at that point, and and Daniels and Kaz were teaming at that point, and it was always either you know maybe three way with you guys or a tag match. You kind of sense that you guys were you know almost carrying the show wrestling wise. Wrestling wise, yes, you know, but I mean, like I said, you know, you got Engel and uh, AJ tagging, and you got Real Rude and Aries tagging, and Cass and Daniels. You know, if you're a tag team wrestling fan, you love life for watching TNA. But, you know, sooner or later, you know, like I, you know, I bring back the point with about the Conan deal, all those cool moves and all those cool matches, it's not going to mean anything if you're not getting over with the crowd as far as your character and besides just the wrestling part, you know, because, you know, the people want to invest, you know, invest in you besides just the wrestling ability. They want to say, oh, I hate this guy, or I like this guy because he's cool. Not, oh, he wrestles good, but we don't, we don't get to hear him talk. Definitely. Gotcha. I mean, obviously, that's, you know, a great point by uh, Conan, and, and, and obviously, you know, you got to connect with the crowd, and I feel like you've definitely done that for sure. And one of the, you know, big things that you, that you do that kind of really stands out, and obviously, you know, there's been a little bit of controversy around it, but that is the border toss, you know, the, the super power bomb, if you will. You just talk about that move. I mean, it's it obviously, it's it, it looks great on TV, and obviously the crowd pops for it every time. Um, I've, I've been doing that probably, I guess, since 99 <laughs> and uh you know i came from a 
powerful background before I did pro wrestling. So, you know, I just want to do something different as far, you know, actually uh, going going up, not really going up, but watching wrestling when I got older. I like watching um, Mike Awesome. I just basically just a small change, how he threw him off his shoulder. I just threw him, you know, as a crucifix style. And uh, it, it gets a little bit of um, backlash or, you know, controversy as far as people who claim to get hurt and stuff like that. But if, you know, any professional person that's taking it, I mean, ask AJ Styles if he's gotten hurt. Ask, you know, prime, prime example, ask Gil Kim. She weighs 100 pounds, if that. Hmm. You know, did she get hurt? If You know, it's, you know, when you take moves, it's a give or take, you know, it's, and it's obviously a trust kind of deal. But, I mean, for the guys who have complained or the guys who've gotten so-called hurt, you know, maybe they weren't trained right, or maybe they weren't. They didn't. They didn't want. They, they were upset. They were t- that they were going under. You know, it's it's professional wrestling. Come on, you know, it's not like you're really winning. So I mean, the people, the people who complain, you know, is and I wish I could have one of those John Madden teleprompters like he does on, you know, on the football games on Thanksgiving, you know, and you can see. And I can show each and every person who thinks that, you know, these moves go wrong, wherever wrong, and why that person is at fault. If you lay, if say for a crucifix, if you stay still and just stay exactly how I tell you, you can land perfect. You know, case in point, look at Gail Kim. She's 100 pounds. You don't think she was scared shitless when she had to take it from a 300-pound dude? Hmm. <laughs> yep. And, I mean, you YouTube it, look at it. It looks, you know, it looks Brutal, but also obviously very safe. Now, the few guys that have complained about it, you know, if you don't if you don't lay your body prone and be straight, if you kick your legs up, you're going to kick the momentum up to where the angle of your neck is going to be very, very much higher. So, I mean, watch, you know, don't don't take my word for it. Go to YouTube and every single person who's complained about taking this, go there and see if they if they kick their legs up to anticipate the move or not. If they you know, if they stayed completely flat and got hurt, I promise you I I, I bet this three hundred and forty thousand dollar house and it did not happen that way. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> very, very true. And obviously uh you know one of those guys was uh an old friend of yours, uh, Roy Fox, he was kinda of saying that you hurt him with the the border toss or you know the the super bomb if you will. Yeah, he was right. one of those complainers. Real real quick you can ask anybody wrestling. If you, you know, all you got to do is say no. I have plenty of moves I can hit you with before I finish. You don't have to take that whatever move I give you. You can, you know, ask anyone in the locker room. You can say no. You know. So as far as that guy, I guess he, he was trying to reinvent his career, get his fifteen minutes back. So he's good luck with that. You know. <laughs> I think his fifteen minutes of fame died when he when he, when he wrestled. Uh, Zach Ryder on that on that explosion match, you know, that, that superstars match, and, and his little bikini dwarf ripped <laughs> and came off. Yeah, I, I, thought, I mean, his 15 minutes. I mean, YouTube, his 15 minutes of fame died then. <laughs> and obviously, uh, you know, like that move. If you really think about it, which you know, you think about uh, like you like you mentioned, Mike Awesome, him doing it to Masato Tanaka. You know, you, you could see it vividly. You know, the way you do it is very, you know, 
Not exactly like it, but very similar to it. Mike Awesome, kind of like an influence to you? Was he one of like, your favorites? The only reason why I decided to be a wrestler after, you know, I watched uh, in the 90s, you know, when you're getting those illegal cable feeds to, to watch the East Valley tape movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I watched uh, November to Remember and, you know, watched him against um, Sarasanaka, and I was hooked. I go, here's this big jack dude that is athletic as hell. I can do that. I can do that. And uh, the coolest, you know, cool thing was, and like in 2003, I was in Japan with him. He was in there at the same time, and uh, we got to tag together. And that was, you know, like a, a big markout moment, you know, a silent markout moment for myself. That's got to be awesome, you know, being able to, uh, you know, team with a guy who was, you know, a hero of yours and, and uh, a guy you definitely looked up to. And uh, I really enjoyed that uh, Mike Awesome, Masala Tanaka, obviously, you know, they, they had a great feud in Japan, too. So anybody out there can get a hands on not only ECW matches, but the matches they had in Japan and FNW. Awesome, awesome matches. Now, as far as you're concerned, I, I wanted to almost, uh, you know, rewind the clock a little bit because he uh, he was a guest on our show, and that is, of course, your old or one of your old trainers, Rudy Borgenthalis, and he was such a great guest. Now, what was your, you know, your starting in the business and training? What was your, you know, your guidance under Rudy Boy? Um, it's a little bit different and both awkward at the same time because I was actually trained by uh, Tugboat Taylor here in Houston, and. Um, I, I met Rudy and, and a couple of indie shows in Dallas and stuff like that. And I started doing some of his shows and started getting with his crew as far as when they were going to Ring of Honor and uh, NWA Wildside. So it's more like a, a, a mentor kind of thing, I guess. And uh, so, I mean, it's for, for him to say, for anyone who thinks he trained me, no, he did not train me. I learned all the basics here in Houston. With uh, Tug Taylor and Chaz Taylor, you know, they're, I guess, big claim to fame, but they were in global, like, in the early 90s. Yeah, with the good old uh, global, which was great. You know, big fan of that. You know, you mentioned, uh, obviously, Tug Taylor, but how come, you know, the the association is so much with, you know, people saying you're turning rude boys just because, you know, you kind of ran the roads with them and then you kind of did a ring of honor with them? I guess that's where the uh, the connection kind of comes from. I think so, and then, I mean, I think when he was getting his website together and stuff like that, you know, as far as he was putting names that he's, you know, names he's trained, uh, you know, I think I said, you know, it was okay for him to do, to, to say he trained me or something like that, but I promise you, I'll, you know, I got check stubs, you know, from 17 years ago where he didn't, get, they, weren't, they weren't directed towards him, they were directed towards Tug, so it was, <laughs> I guess it was something. That, I guess at the time it was something to help him booster his. When I say booster, bolster his um, cred for his uh, websites and stuff like that to get more students. Hey, you throw uh, you throw a Sean Hernandez on there, and it looks pretty good. Well, I mean, you know, he had you know he was the last trainer for Shawn Michaels. So, I mean, he had all yep. those like um, you know Brian Danielson, Spanky, uh, Lance Cave, all those guys. You know, and then, you know, like he, you know, he had myself and uh, Paul London, which Paul London didn't get trained by him either. You know, it was just, I guess, you know, because he both, we both started going with Rudy to uh, Ring of Honor and different places 
with his crew, they lumped us all together. Gotcha. Definitely, you know, definitely makes sense. And, and I was at a couple of Ring of Honor shows that you were at, and kind of wondering. I guess you know they didn't really have quote unquote contracts then, but did you ever you know plan on having a longer, you know, almost a longer run with Ring of Honor? Because you were pretty over at, at a lot of the shows you were at, especially yeah. in, in the Northeast. Oh, I loved it. I loved being wrestling ring bar. I mean, we were so young and new in the business. All of us that came from Texas, you know. I, I think our biggest thing we wanted to do was, you know, besides make you know make names for ourselves, was just to get our name on the Ring of Honor website. You know, hmm. just have our just have our picture there because I mean we weren't making any money at all. I mean we was probably lucky to make fifty bucks, I guess, and we were driving all the way from you know Texas, and uh, so I mean it just shows you that how that group of guys was was so hungry, you know. If we're willing to rent a van, and you know, a lot of those guys came from San Antonio, so it was a 24-hour trip for some of them just to get noticed. And it was, you know, and to be in the locker room with those guys, I mean, look, you know, Brian Danielson was there, Loki was there, Homicide, Samoa Joe, CM Punk, uh, you know, who's who of, you know, and here we are, just local, you know, local uh, dark match enhancement guys hoping to get it a break out of that. And it worked out, I guess, for everyone. Absolutely. And I remember thinking, because I used to go to a lot of the shows, thinking that you should have been on the show more. And one thing, you know, that get called by eye, I was like, Hot Stuff Hernandez. I wonder if this guy was a Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert fan. Is that kind of where <laughs> the, the nickname came from? Actually, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert was, it was awesome. A brilliant, brilliant mind. But no, it's just, I was just being dumb at the time. I was a young kid, and the promoter, you know, sprung on me that on a Wednesday practice that my first match was on a Friday. I had no clue what my name was or what my gimmick was. Just you know, because I was a big-bodied guy, they he just wanted me on the show. So it was between. I just flipped a coin. It was either gonna be Hosta Fernandez, just because it went together, I guess, or Hurricane Hernandez, and. <laughs> You know, you know, luckily we went heads, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I, it's weird. I, it's always the thought of mine. I'm like, I wonder if she was a Teddy Gilbert fan. But obviously, you know, you, you, there goes that. <laughs> wow. you know, it, it was just, it's just awkward because, I mean, you know, you know, as, as far as being trained by Tug, you, were, you weren't giving no direction as far as character or promos or stuff like that. So that's why it took me a long time just to get a character or, or even you know, opportunities to even speak on the mic because it was not, it was not even taught to me. Hmm. I, you know, I got you on that. And do you think that, um, you know, like, let's just say uh, training today, you know, if you were, let's say, starting the business today, you think you would have went a different route? Yeah, um, I probably wouldn't have, you know, I I see where, you know, I have a family and stuff like that, so I'd probably try MMA stuff more because, <laughs> you know, you get paid more per fight. <laughs> hmm. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, I have a, I had a small background in, um, in um, amateur wrestling. As when I was trying to be a pro wrestler, you know, Tubbo Taylor was a really good amateur wrestler back in the day. He was a runner-up for the Olympic trials 
for the for the heavyweight division. And uh, he taught me how to amateur wrestle, and he took me to this local school here in Houston. And this guy, Tony Thomas, was teaching you know amateur wrestling there. And here, this guy was 1984 Olympic alternate, just smoking everybody at 170 pounds. And he taught me in two weeks how to be the Texas State champion in pro and Greco uh, Roman wrestling. Pretty, uh, pretty damn impressive. It was. I mean, this guy was awesome. He was, you know, like a 170 pound guy, maybe five six and 600 pound squatter, and uh, he definitely pushed me because I was 300 pounds. I had to lose 20 pounds just to compete for the heavyweight division. <laughs> <laughs> crazy to think, uh, you know, you got to lose all the weight and it's just, and you're still heavyweight. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that was rough. I mean, because. You know, in in the nineties, everyone you know one of the guys really big, and so I, I think I started training at three hundred five. Oh wow! Yeah. Wow. You know, you know, thing of year, obviously, you know, big guy, super heavyweight, if you will, you know, super mechs, if you will, and you know, just thinking that back, you know, about your career, and as we start to wind it down here, you know, I'm always thinking of. You know, you and Homicide and LAX, and you guys, you know, obviously wrestled in, you know, IWA in Puerto Rico, you won the tag titles, uh, JAPW, you guys won the tag titles, you know, you guys uh, wrestled basically every good tag team you, you can think of, and, and so many you know, amazing opponents that you wrestled one-on-one, but do you have a favorite match or maybe matches you've had in your career? Um, any big profile match I've had with Homicide, that's, I mean, Homicide's like my brother. Obviously, that um, Six Sides of Steel Cage with Daniels and uh, Styles was is, is up there a lot. Um, when I did, I did uh, my triple, triple main in cage match, I had to jump off the, the, the lighting pictures. This 2010, that was very, very, and there's probably like 20,000 people. That was crazy. And there was at the time was like the highest jump. Now everyone does it, but I mean, you know, that they were. I not I didn't jump off the cage. I jumped off the lighting fixture on top of the cage. I was a heavy metal and heavy metal. I was about two eighty and heavy metal was like one hundred seventy pounds. So <laughs> it was awkward, but it was awesome, man. But you know, uh, I guess getting a chance to wrestle Sting and any time I got to wrestle with Kurt Angle was always a pleasure. Pretty uh, pretty amazing run you've had for sure, and you know staying an angle and, and obviously wrestling in Mexico is really cool. But is there a favorite opponent that you you know you just gelled with? You know maybe throughout your whole career that you just said like this guy you know I love working this guy. You know besides the things and the Kurt Angle, is there a guy you know you always just enjoyed wrestling? Um, hands down, AJ Styles, man. I think he's if it's not Kurt Angle, it's AJ Styles who's the best in wrestling. I think you know. You know, he he comes up with so many cool things for yourself and him to make the match really, really great. I just think he just does his, you know, is his name phenomenal. He's a very great performer. And it's great with AJ now. He's been unbelievable. Obviously, he's back with Ring of Honor. And if you follow the, the New Japan scene, he's been one of the best wrestlers in the world, wrestling all those guys over there. Do you follow, um, you know, any anything going on as far as New Japan and, and like, Ring of Honor nowadays? Um, not not at all, really. I just you know, I'm trying. You know, I'm doing. I did like 
two movies in the past four weeks, and you know I've been doing a lot of casting calls for uh, some additions for commercials and stuff. So wrestling is not really on my number one priority list right now. But you know, if, I, if it's not the, if I'm you know even when it was, I only watch the shows I'm on. You know, because <laughs> I mean, I mean, why watch something else that you're not that you're not you're not a part of? Right. If you're, you know, if you're a contracted performer for a certain promotion, you know, how does it make sense? To me, it doesn't make sense to watch someone else. Especially when you have kids and different things like that. You have to do, you know, I don't, this, maybe this, on time, time uh, constraints alone, you know, not that much. Gotcha. Definitely. I can feel you on that. But there was one question you know, I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't know if it would be Mike Awesome or not, but. If you could have a dream match, you know, if you get back in the ring, you know, they say you got one more match to be against anybody, you know, the proverbial dream match. Who would it be against? Uh, my, easily, um, L.A. Park, the original La Parca. You know, I think he's awesome. I mean, he still wrestles in Mexico. I mean, he's very, very, as far as American fans are concerned, very underrated. I mean, here's a 280-pound guy that can do – you know, the code red like like amazing red does. You know, he can brawl, he can he can high fly, he can do just about everything. Yeah, I like that. That's different. That's one you don't expect to hear, but that's uh that's really sweet. Now, you know, one thing before we just get we get to wrap up here and we get into uh plugs and stuff. You know, we're more northeastern guys, so we know that northeastern indie scene, but what's that what's the indie scene like in, in your area in Houston? And down there in Texas, because is there are there some people maybe that we haven't seen yet that are on their rise up, and are there are a lot of uh, different promotions out there that really, uh, you know, maybe uh, need to be seen that aren't. Well, in Texas, it's pretty much secluded, where you know, a lot of promotions in the East Coast work together, and that way you can get pretty much the best talent available. That doesn't happen in Texas, you know. It, it's uh, you know. If you, if you work for me, you can't work for this guy kind of attitude. So, I mean, you guys are very, very fortunate that you guys get, you know, you get to see the best up-and-coming up guys going against the best up-and-coming guys. So be fortunate that you guys get to see that on a regular basis. <laughs> and that's definitely something I think that a lot of those Northeastern fans, especially us, you know, New Jersey, uh, New York, that scene is loaded from top to bottom, but, we know we've seen you there before as well, so we know that they bring in the premier talent. Now, before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you, you know, if you either look five years down the road or you look back on what you've done so far in your career, what would you say, you know, your legacy is on the business so far, your impact on the business, and uh, where do you see yourself in five years within wrestling? Um, wrestling, I won't be. <laughs> I won't be. I, I can't think I won't be wrestling in five years. I mean, come on. I mean, Y'all can Wikipedia me. I, you know how old I am. I don't want to be, you know, 47, 48, you know, wrestling still. That's, you know, that's why I'm trying to, while I can, I'm trying to break up in different genres, especially with TVs and movie stuff. Nice. No, it's always good. I mean, uh, trust me, you, you have a very unique look, and I'm sure there's not going to be any trouble finding some very uh, very cool parts for the Super Mech. Now, please... <laughs> Tell the fans and the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling just where they can find Fernandez and where they can see you maybe coming to a town near them in the near future. Or, hey, 
maybe even to a screen near them. You never know. <laughs> well, um, I'm not sure when the, the, the two movies debut. They'll be debuting this spring. Uh, one's called Peace and Joy Movie. It's an indie movie. It's a comedy. And then I just did a documentary. Um, it should be on the. I think it's going to be on the History Channel. It's um, and of course. I always get typecast as an inmate or a thug, and I'm good with that, as long as I get paid. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, a big thing, if you've got anyone who's LAX fans, uh, we will make it our reunion and, um, next on November 14th at Junjiao Pro. You know, we haven't wrestled together probably five or six years, so me and Homicide. Homicide's finally 100% healthy. He had some shoulder surgery problems. He's back on, you know, he was on the men, he's on the he was on the stable list. Now he's ready to go. We're going to try to give it one more run together and see how it works. And uh, so, I mean, if you guys are in the area in uh, Rawway, New Jersey, November 14th, LAX returns. Very, very nice. Yeah, it's going to be a big weekend. And uh, if you can hear this now, please go check that out. Well, Hernandez, this has been a ton of fun. We really appreciate it.